What will it mean for you to have the salmon come back? Something that has been missing, something that was taken away from us, has now been replaced in that river. And because of that, things will, will change for us. We don't know what. It's not going to give us fishing rights. It's not going to give us land back on the, our river. We don't know what it will do, but we know that the salmon are our leaders and they are a change agent. And that if we do this prayer, that something will happen. We don't know exactly what it would be for us, but I think the salmon are our only hope. <laughs> From KALW's The Spiritual Edge, this is A Prayer for Salmon, an audio documentary series about the Winnemum-Wintu people and their clash with Northern California's Shasta Dam. I'm Judy Silber. Lila June, the Winnemum-Wintu are fighting for something that a lot of people would say is just an impossible dream. It's almost like they want to bring the state of California both backwards and forwards at the same time. They want to return salmon to the waters of the McLeod River, which is a place where they no longer swim. They hold steadfast to this dream. And I've known the Winnemum now for five years. When they say they're not giving up, they really mean it. So they're not celebrities with some big influence. They're not elected officials. But... They are leaders. Would you say that they're emblematic of indigenous leadership? Yes, I would, because indigenous leadership, although we're not monolithic and you can't say all Native people are the same, we do have a unique leadership ethic that is really rooted in humility and, and being a warrior for people that are outside of you and beyond you. I certainly see that with Chief Kalyan Sisk, that she carries this great responsibility, not only for her people, but also for the salmon, and even, you could say, the waters of California. How do you see her incorporating uh, these indigenous values into how she acts even on an everyday basis? Yeah, I mean, indigenous leadership also has to do with following uh, spirit and following the mountains. Um, so I think Kaleen does that. There's this amazing video where she's holding up a big wooden salmon with feathers coming off of it. And the entire time she's speaking, she is tapping into the leadership of that salmon. So she's a, she's a leader, but she is led by the salmon. And so I think she very much exemplifies indigenous leadership at, in its most traditional form. There's also this notion of that indigenous peoples have this divine duty to take care of the earth, and our leaders help us do that. So, you know, in Winnemum Winter Culture, they say that the salmon gave them their voices, so they must speak for the salmon. And I think in that sense, she absolutely is, is carrying out uh, what we find throughout indigenous cultures of, of really being a warrior, not just for your own people, for all people, not just for humans, but for all creatures, and not just for our own planet, but for the whole cosmos to, to hold that love in our hearts. Chapter 10, Bringing the Salmon Home from New Zealand. The message came through of the salmon going through the ice waterfall. It was going to go away from the river. At the time, they were like, what? How is the salmon going to go away? There's a Winnemum Wintu prophecy that had always puzzled Chief Kaleen Sisk. 
It arose in the late 19th century after the U.S. government established the West Coast's first salmon hatchery on their river, the McLeod. The prophecy said salmon would go away, but then wait in the ice waterfalls. No, it's like, here's the story about the salmon will wait for us, right? And I was thinking like, I wonder if, if that's true or not. You know how you get? It's like, okay, here's the story. Wonder if that's a true story. She had so many questions. How did her ancestors know the salmon would disappear? Because at the time, there were loads. And then there was this idea that the salmon would wait behind the ice waterfalls. What did they mean by that? And then we did the uh, war dance on the dam in 2004 because they're planning to raise the dam to flood our sacred sites. And so we were uh, there to tell the world, you know, what's happening here. And after that, uh, we heard from New Zealand that they had our salmon. This is where we left off in the last episode. The Winnemumwintu had just performed a war dance at Shasta Dam. News of the protest spread around the world. And so once that happened, we got an email saying that they had our salmon. A New Zealand professor named Roy Montgomery wrote to the Winnemumwintu. Salmon from Northern California swam in New Zealand, he told them. Their origins could be traced back to the McLeod River and possibly other creeks nearby. This was news to the tribe. It got them thinking, could they get these salmon back? Like, how did you feel when you got that email? Oh, we were ecstatic. It's like, yeah, we want our salmon back. New Zealand's salmon population exists because of eggs shipped from Northern California about 100 years ago. There's some debate in the scientific community about whether the stock originated in the McLeod River or another nearby waterway called Battle Creek. But the Winnemumwintu fully believe that these are their fish. Their existence lines up perfectly with the prophecy. Their mountain has ice waterfalls. And it's the only place in the world that the salmon thrived and lived. Everywhere else they sent our salmon, they died. Ever since the Winnemumwintu discovered these salmon were in New Zealand, they've been intent on bringing them back to the McLeod. I'm going to tell you about those heroic efforts that have gone on now for almost two decades. But first, we're going to go back in time so you can understand how these fish got to New Zealand in the first place, because they didn't swim there. We start in 1871. On the East Coast, fish stocks were plummeting. Fishermen were turning on each other, fighting for a dwindling catch. So Congress established a brand new United States Commission of Fish and Fisheries. They asked a renowned naturalist named Spencer Baird to lead it. He thought science could help establish regulations that would preserve the ocean's fish. But local politicians wouldn't listen. So Spencer Baird started pushing a different tactic, hatcheries. And his intention, really, when, it, when you strip away all the rhetoric and everything, his, his intention was that hatcheries would replace conservation. They were a substitute for conservation. 
This is Jim Likitowicz, a biologist and author of several books about salmon. The rationale was, if overfishing couldn't be stopped, then hatcheries would provide a steady supply of fish in the same way that farms grow food. This appeal to hatcheries has persisted for, you know, 140 years. For all that time, the government has invested in hatcheries as if it could make up for man's hubris, including overfishing and dams. It hasn't worked. Salmon runs are imperiled. Yet Spencer Baird's legacy persists. In 1872, he sent a fish culturist named Livingston Stone out to California. He set up the West Coast's first salmon hatchery on the McLeod River. The hatchery sent salmon eggs to the East Coast by rail. It also shipped eggs to at least eight other countries. That was part of a large movement globally, actually. Rasmus Gabrielson is a manager with New Zealand's Fish and Wildlife Council. Around the sort of 1850s onwards, where there was acclimatization societies in many new colonies like New Zealand, Australia, and other parts of the world. And Sorry, of what, course, what did you say there were? acclimatization societies. He tells me that settlers in places such as the United States, South Africa, Australia, and New Zealand miss plants and animals from their homelands. When the pioneers came to New Zealand, I guess they saw lakes and rivers that in their minds were empty. They saw an empty niche for fish that they were used to seeing, like salmon and trout from their homelands, that didn't exist here because we're on the other side of the equator. From the McLeod River hatchery, Livingston Stone sent shipments of salmon eggs to New Zealand. But if they did give rise to salmon runs, they would have been small, high up in the mountains, invisible to most people. So in the early 1900s, the New Zealand government decided to try again, this time in a more systematic way. They secured at least four big shipments with millions of salmon eggs from Northern California, including the McLeod River. Then New Zealand's chief inspector of fisheries focused on planting them in just one river, the Waitaki, on the country's South Island. Big system with a lot of flow that's attractive to salmon, number of stable spring creeks and, and side tributaries, and he picked one of those. His idea was, instead of like before, putting a few fish everywhere, he wanted to focus his efforts for a number of years on one system and really give it a good go. And very quickly, that proved to be a successful strategy. New Zealand now had the beginnings of what would become a robust recreational salmon fishery, one started by eggs shipped from the McLeod hatchery. Chief Colleen didn't know any of this New Zealand history until after the war dance in 2004. But once she heard, she knew immediately she wanted those fish back on the McLeod. Of course, we had really no capacity uh, to travel there and to really push that forward right then. But the seed had been planted. At a United Nations conference for indigenous rights, Chief Colleen sought out New Zealand's representatives. She asked what they knew about the salmon, which wasn't a whole lot. Then back in her home territory, a prayer came through that helped form the beginnings of a plan. 
the Winamawintu would go to New Zealand to dance and pray for the salmon there. And so I was trying to figure out what kind of prayer this is. Is it okay for just me and maybe two other people to go? Is it okay for four people? Is that going to answer this call? Because one, halfway around the world, and two, the tickets were pretty expensive. The Winamawintu started fundraising. As the money became available, they bought tickets one by one. And then, because of our regalia, because we're going to dance on the river, you know, we had to find out how do we get our regalia into the country. The regalia contained animal parts restricted by U.S. and New Zealand laws. Getting out of the country with our eagle feathers and getting into the country with a bunch of migratory bird feathers and deer hooves and, you know, things that um, we had to have to go through their biosecurity. In the end, in 2010, 28 people boarded a plane bound for Christchurch. It had been five years since they'd first heard about the New Zealand salmon. We made it. We made it. We're here. Videographer Will Doolittle accompanied the Winamawintu on their trip. The audio you hear from New Zealand is from his documentary, Dancing Salmon Home. Representatives of the Maori people greeted them at the airport. And they did their whole welcoming ceremony right there as soon as we got off the plane. Here's Michael Preston, son of Chief Kaleen. Right in the middle of everything and everybody in the airport, and it was cool. It didn't seem to phase anyone around them. It was like, wow, we're in a country that doesn't deem their indigenous people as outside of the mainstream. So that was a, a comforting feeling for us, you know, because we're not used to that here in California. Over the next few weeks, the Winnemum went to toward the South Island. We went to the Sacred Lake and put down prayers with them there and, you know, tried to get familiar with how they saw their country, how they saw the spirit beings, and asking permission that we might be able to do this in a good way. Everywhere they went, they received a formal welcome from the local Maori. So we welcome you here, and we give you our greetings from... This interview with the late Maori leader, John Wilkie, is also from Will Doolittle's film. We're just so pleased to meet those people and have the spiritual relationship that came about through that and and their feelings for their fishery and how it related to our feelings with the eel. The Maori understood the Winamawintu's connection to salmon because they have a similar sacred relationship to the longfin eel, a creature that also travels long distances to spawn. The Maori took their visitors out to the Rakaia River. For four days, the Winamawintu prayed, fasted, danced, and sang in front of the descendants of their salmon who had survived in this faraway part of the world. Yeah, we, we put our kind of a blood, sweat, and tears there. I guess you might say it out there, you know, and put it down. And like, I really feel, I feel connected out there. I really feel love for that place out there. I feel, feel love for the people out there and for the mountain ranges. I feel, I feel like it's a part of me in, in a way, in a big way. Our salmon are there, you know, and, and we're, we're spiritually connected. 
At one point, the Winnemum went to glimpsed salmon swimming in the Rakaya River. Filmmaker Will Doolittle captured Chief Colleen's reaction. There you go. That's a good sign that they did the little dance right here. Because the Maori is saying, well, don't get too close to the river because they'll dart away. But those salmon stayed right there. It was like we sang to them and we prayed to them and they, and they just showed themselves, you know, and they were right there um, in that riffle going back and forth while we were just there, you know. So it wasn't like they, it was almost like they knew we were coming or they knew, you know, who we were. It was pretty incredible. You're listening to A Prayer for Salmon from KALW's The Spiritual Edge. This is an 11-part series. To hear the rest of it, search for The Spiritual Edge in any podcast app or go to thespiritualedge.org. Now back to the story. A few New Zealand fisheries people also came and went during the ceremony. One of them was Dirk Barr, at the time the manager of a small conservation hatchery. Like many of the other fisheries people I've interviewed, he has an incredible respect for salmon. He grew up with them. They never exhaust his curiosity. I spoke with him by phone. I'd camp up all night and go nights without sleep just to see what's going on, to try and work out what's happening. Because they were doing things that yeah, I just couldn't believe. Dirk Barr says salmon can defy expectations. For example, the way females and males find each other. In spawning stream scenarios, why would you get 39 uh, male salmon turn up one night and then three days later have 41 females turn up? I mean, to me, that, yeah, those sorts of questions are the things that just completely, um, they, they mystify you. Dirk Barr is part Maori. He says he's not really religious, but still, the salmon feed his spirituality. If I can use an analogy, I guess it's like a, a person who would who can't stop climbing mountains. Um, that's where they feel connected. That's where they're drawn to. It's something that's that's deep within them that they they can't stop doing that, and it just it just gets into your blood, and it's there no matter what. The Winnemum Wintu went to visit Dirk Barr's hatchery. They say California's large-scale hatchery operations mess with the salmon and decrease their ability to survive in the wild. But this one was small and low-tech. It didn't bother them. They got to release juvenile fish into the river. It was an emotional moment for Chief Colleen's daughter, Marine Sisk, recorded for the movie Dancing Salmon Home. Letting the fish go. That was hard. Because it was like getting to see somebody for the first time and then having to let them go. I thought about how me and my brother and all my cousins never got to see them come up the river. Watching the Winnemumwintu made a lasting impression on Dirk Barr. The experience for me was just mind-blowing, just to see how, how much they thought about these fish and what it meant to them. 
the hope of, of getting them back in, in, into their, their river, the McLeod. Yeah, I, I felt so so deeply for the people. I, I said to myself, God, if there's one thing I do on this earth, I'd love to be able to be in a position that um, would help to see and that they get their fish back. When she got back from New Zealand, Chief Colleen began meeting with U.S. and California government officials, anyone who could help bring the salmon back to the McLeod. Fishing game? All of them. All of them. Everybody who would be interested in returning the salmon to the United States. But the federal government had its own ideas for how to restore salmon on the McLeod River. It wanted to use salmon from a hatchery just below Shasta Dam that breeds one species, the endangered winter-run Chinook. It's the place I visited in the last episode. This disagreement about which fish to use was a constant source of tension between the Winnemum-Wintu and the feds. But the hatchery fish are totally like a different fish. They don't have the muscle structure, they don't have the insight. They don't have yeah. the ability to climb a mountain in them. You know, they're, they're a weaker species with, with less knowledge about the spiritual connection. <laughs> the winter run are a mixed population of hatchery and non-hatchery fish. In contrast, the New Zealand fish are mostly wild. And these are the fish the Winnemum Wintu feel the greatest connection to. These are the fish they want in their river. They're determined to jump through every hoop the government puts in front of them. A few years back, the big hang-up had to do with genetics. The government wanted to tease out a small mystery. Which of the four Chinook runs made it to New Zealand? Was it fall, late fall, winter, or spring? A large grant from the U.S. Bureau of Reclamation, along with more money raised by the Winnemum-Wintu, paid for the studies. And so these these are, are the traps that would be installed. A it's trap. 2018. Chief Colleen and I sit at her dining room table in Reading. Her laptop computer is propped open. She's showing me photos from her latest New Zealand trip, the first one since 2010. Yeah, this this trap is pretty. It's a pretty simple trap. It's like maybe two feet high, and it's um, about eight feet across. And then it has a little trap door in the middle where the fish can come through, but they can't get back out. Salmon caught in the traps will have a small fin sample removed and mailed to the states. There, scientists began to evaluate their DNA. While she believes all runs belong in the McLeod River, Chief Colleen was hoping for proof of a winter or spring run. Those are the populations most imperiled in California the ones the United States government would most likely agree to bring back. There's Michael. He's got his waders on. He got to get in there and catch some fish. <laughs> Her son, Michael Preston, and nephew, Nick Wilson, helped out with the traps. He was, he was pretty happy. Everybody, uh, yeah, Mike and uh, Nick were really in their high <laughs> doing the salmon, catching the fish. How did it feel to see them catching the fish? It's, it's something that they should be doing, you know. It's, it's pretty special. New Zealand has given the Winnemum Wintu a chance to be with their salmon again. 
In California, they don't have that physical connection. Chief Colleen is determined to restore it. As a kid, she had the chance to learn from her elders. Shasta Dam had done its damage to the McLeod, but her family still fished other rivers in the area. We know how to toggle fish. We know how to, <laughs> we know all the fishing techniques. We know where to get the fish. We know what the river looks like when it has um, salmon in it. The waves on the, uh, the riffles, how it changes. The generations that have come after her missed those opportunities. More dams went up, taking out more habitat. The Sacramento River still had salmon, but in the 1970s, the family noticed a change. The meat became mushy. There were bugs in the gills. Do you feel like worried that there's a generation that's growing up without the salmon? We are worried. Um, I mean, we have members right now who really don't care to eat salmon, you know, then, yeah, we have a problem. Environmental cues connected to salmon have also disappeared. It's like if you see this purple flower in bloom, you don't really know that it's related to the runs of salmon anymore. But we should. We should retain that knowledge that's thousands of years old that never fails us. The Winnemum-Wintu are battling to bring salmon back to the McLeod River for the generations to come. It's a slog that's lasted almost two decades now. It turns out, at least from what scientists can tell, there are no winter run in New Zealand, but there are likely spring run, and they're a threatened species. The government has said New Zealand salmon could be brought back to California, maybe, because now there's another hurdle, pathogen tests to make sure the New Zealand salmon are disease-free. And so now we have to come up with that much more money to do the pathogen test. The obstacles are seemingly endless, but occasionally the Winnemum Wintu get a sign of hope like at the end of this sunrise ceremony in the fall of 2019. Chief Colleen, her sister Helene, and a few others stand on a meadow with a full view of Buyum Puyuk, also known as Mount Shasta. In the snow and rocks, they saw a few shapes. Here's Helene. We saw um, on the mountain, it looked like Granny holding a basket in front of her with fish jumping out of it. And in front of that was a, it looked like a bear that was pulling, pulling rocks or something like that with its forepaws. Maybe the salmon will be back, I'm thinking. Like if she had the salmon up there. Maybe the salmon will return. And the bears are clearing the way for them, maybe. Yeah, it was nice. Nice to see that. Special thanks to Will Doolittle for use of audio from his documentary movie, Dancing Salmon Home. On the next chapter of A Prayer for Salmon, 
The federal government asked the Winnemuwintu if they'll support their plan on the McLeod River. Because we can't possibly let the winter run die off after all these years of them killing them every year. It's like, it's our, it's our emergency now. <laughs> listening to is In the River by Ray Zaragoza. A Prayer for Salmon is a project of the Spiritual Edge at KALW Public Radio. To hear the rest of the series, look for the Spiritual Edge in your podcast app or go to thespiritualedge.org. That's also where we have beautiful photos from the series. I'm Judy Silber. Thanks for listening. Our sisters and our brothers We are camping out for each other We are stronger when we band Native Voice One, the Native American Radio Network.